February is Black History Month, and the KVMR News Department is looking to share stories about the African-American pioneers of Nevada County. I'm Julia Jem. Last week, with the help of local historian Linda Jack, I told the story of the Sanks, a remarkable black family that lived and operated in Nevada County during the mid to late 1800s. This week, I'll be speaking with Linda about the organizations and places of gathering that the black community built in years past. First, I asked her to describe the details of perhaps their most precious foundations, their churches and schools. I know that there was the church that I kind of discussed in the Isaac Sanks piece as well that was collectively put together and took quite a bit of manpower, cost quite a bit of money. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, I think that these organizations, the churches, the schools, the clubs, the uh, Black Masons, they all were organizations that not only provided a home for their members, but also uh, had the secondary effect of kind of demonstrating to the white communities that these folks, even the ones newly, formerly enslaved, were going to participate in the full social and political life of the community. I think they had meaning above and beyond their individual functions. Yeah. But the churches, I think in particular, were a place where people could gather safely to uh, worship, to socialize, to launch political efforts, and so forth. And so I think the reason they got established first ahead of some of these other organizations was to kind of be a place where people could deal with their society on a daily basis. So um, they were community efforts. They were funded locally for the most part. And because they shared uh, clergy members, they were sort of uh, their clergy traveled from one church to the other. So church services were not generally done on a daily basis, at least in the rural counties. So that also formed a network because the same bishop or the same pastor would be in Grass Valley and then in Nevada City and then in Marysville and perhaps down in Sacramento. How are those churches funded, especially, you know, the one that I mentioned in the Sanks piece? Do you know any of the details as to how that that worked? I think they put out a subscription, basically, and asked people to donate. In the Nevada City case, well, also in Grass Valley, they had fundraisers, you know, they ladies auxiliary or equivalent, I don't think it was called that, but uh, came together and had uh, Nevada City, they uh, had an ice cream and cake social and raised funds that way. So I think these were grassroots efforts, mm-hmm. whether individuals also maybe donated equipment and materials, I think that's also a possibility. But they were, I think, ground, you know, from the ground up. I see. And then also, there was a school, correct, that was built adjacent to one of the churches right. in Grass Valley? To both of them. Yeah, oh, to, to both, both Nevada them. City and Grass Valley. The school came later, about 10 years later, and that was really in response to um, California basically uh, segregating its schools. And parents, I think, understood keenly that education was the key for their next generation. So the Grass Valley and Nevada City Schools were also uh, both funded in the community Mm -hmm. and built adjacent to or very near on the same lot in Grass Valley and on an adjacent lot in Nevada City. 
Do we know how many students attended each of those schools? Yeah, I, I would say there were relatively small numbers. It varied, of course, by year. But I would guess between, you know, maybe 20, 25 students at a time. They were all subjects, geography, math, literature. And in fact, the parents insisted in Grass Valley that their curriculum be the same as the white schools because they really wanted their children to be competitive. Mm-hmm. I remember reading that they were posted in the, the union. Right, yes. Uh, the rankings, sort of uh, first, second, third in their class, that sort of, just uh, along with the white children. So there was no real distinction. I see. And then two other things that I wanted to discuss with you, the first being the colored people's balls. Yes. I was wondering what that was, what it looked like. I think they varied. Sometimes they were held, often they were held, Uh, in association with a major festival, like a celebration of the Emancipation Proclamation or a celebration of um, early on the festivals of freedom, which they came to be called, were on things that we won't even, we wouldn't even think of. Like in January, they celebrated the Great Britain's Emancipation of the Slaves in the West Indies or in January, the end of the Atlantic slave trade, and in August, the emancipation of the slaves of the West Indies. So these festivals happened all the time, and often they would have a ball associated with a festival. On the other hand, I think sometimes they would just have social events. Sometimes they would be fundraisers for a particular, uh, like during the Civil War, they would have a ball to raise funds for the Sanitary Commission, which took care of wounded soldiers. So I think there were various reasons to hold a ball, but they were, you know, they had uh, dancing, music, sometimes speeches, food, uh, the ladies brought cakes and other kinds of desserts, and they were big events. They were often held at major venues like Hamilton Hall, which was, uh, you know, hosted lots of social engagements. Before we wrapped up, I also prompted Linda to tell me about any other potential groups that contributed to the community. Here's what she had to say. Um, I would just say there's a couple of other organizations that might be worth just mentioning because they were part of this constellation of social and religious and political groups. And that one is called the Lincoln Club. And there were at least two of them, one in Nevada City, one in Grass Valley. And these were a combination, I think, of political and social clubs. They participated in every festival, every parade, you know, every gathering, and they had banners that they displayed when they marched. And I think these were sources of some of the agitation, positive agitation for civil rights. So I think the Lincoln Clubs represented that more political and social combined. The other was that Black men were not allowed to join the regular Masons. So there was an organization called the Prince Hall Masons, that's a, a person's name, that formed on the East Coast very early in the colonial period. And so we had a lodge, a Prince Hall Mason Lodge in Nevada City. So that was another force for sort of social good work, funding projects and collecting donations and so forth. So I think this, you know, as I said, kind of a constellation of groups. And organizations really were kind of a backbone of 
of connectedness mm-hmm. throughout Northern California that were probably terribly important to link these rural communities. These were folks who were, through their own interests and, and intent, were demonstrating to the larger white community that they were part of this bigger society and their cultural, religious, and, and political engagement was really part of this American story, part of our local story. They weren't just individuals. They were part of this larger, you know, sort of network. For KVMR, I'm Julia Jem.